Hey, uh, quick, quick, uh, we should give uh, Becca some love because that was sweet. Yeah. And, and she, she stepped in on short notice too because uh, people are uh, sick, if you haven't noticed. People are dropping like flies. So, um, Brianna, if you're out there, and uh, the Kinsleys, we love you, praying for you uh, as they recover from whatever yuck they, they have. Um, and uh, quite a few people have, have called in. So thanks for all the people who are stepping up and uh, making uh, church happen today. Um, and thank you for a sweet time of worship. Um, before I have um, uh, Kim come up and read the text, I want to give you a few announcements before we get started. Um, just want to remind you that on Wednesday, our prayer meeting is happening, and that's happening 15 minutes earlier than normal, so we can accommodate for Mike's Romans class. So just wanted to let you know that that's happening. Uh, and then, of course, um, on the 12th, we have our foster care uh, gift wrapping party, and uh, everybody is involved to participate in that, and I just want to remind you to bring those gifts on that day so we can get those gifts uh, wrapped and distributed to all the foster care kids, and if you aren't going to be there but you do have gifts, you can uh, hand those off to uh, Beth or myself, and we can make sure those get uh, delivered. Uh, I think that is all the, the, uh, the announcements I have. Um, John and Karen, you can be praying for them. They're, at a, they're on a retreat this weekend. Someone give, gifted them a retreat, so they get a little R&R. &R. Um, but John's not here to heckle me, so someone is going to have to step up. Oh, volunteer. We are, that was, you, you volunteered very quickly, Connie. That was too quick. That was un, it was unsettlingly quick. Um, Anyway, uh, I think that's all the announcements. Um, so, yes? That is a good question. Six o'clock. Thanks, Rose. Yeah. Woo! Okay. Uh, so let's have Kim come up. She's going to read our text this morning. She's going to pray for us, and uh, we're going to study the Word. First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though, now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it is tested by fire, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that is, was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Father God, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for your inheritance. You are so gracious and good to us. And we are filled with inexpressible joy for your generosity and your love, for your salvation, and for the word that our open hearts are about to receive from Anthony. Lord, let this time be blessed and let us go out and impact the world with your joy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, Kim. Well, here we go. If you are interested in the alliterations that we have been carrying on through the course of the year, here it is. Uh, exiles, endurance, and examples. And I'm, a bit of, I'm on a bit of a subtitle um, kick, and so I've subtitled this morning's message, uh, Pilgrim People. We have five more weeks, and we'll be finished with this really ambitious overview uh, of the, the Bible. And I've kind of, as I was thinking about it this morning, I, I was thinking, it's kind of like uh, Spotify lists, or m when you're listening to music. Uh, this past year, what we've been doing is playing the hits of scripture. Um, but I'm, I, I'm a more of a deep cuts kind of guy. The, the, actually, my, my 2022 Spotify list just told me that's the kind of listener I am. And so I am looking forward to uh, 2023, where we kind of slow down and get back into the deep cuts of Scripture. But we have five more weeks of listening to the hits, the hits of the, of the text, all right? Now, as we navigate the end of the New Testament, I find the rhythm to be uh, really, really interesting. With the exception of the book of Revelation which uh, you know is 22 chapters, the New Testament actually winds down with a series of short uh, epistles by a variety of people. Paul, James, Peter, John, and Jude, at the end of the New Testament, they all pen rather tiny letters tackling really big ideas. A couple of weeks ago, I likened Philemon to the Mike Tyson of epistles because it's small yet powerful. Now, please humor me as I apply uh, another metaphor that has helped serve me in encapsulating the book of 1 Peter. You see, 1 Peter, for me, is like the, the honey badger in the, the collection of these little books, because it's small and tenacious. In fact, uh, I would say 1 Peter is so tenacious, I was actually troubled by it this week, because it was invading into all the 
areas of my heart that I was hoping the Lord wouldn't touch, you know? But, but that's the beauty of the tenaciousness of the text of, of 1 Peter. So that's why I call it the honey badger. Where Philemon was the gospel on the ground, First uh, Peter, I would say, is the gospel with grit, the gospel with determination. And I say it this way because the people Peter is communicating to is a group of Christians entrenched in a season of suffering. In other words, the life that they are currently living is difficult. It's being faced with a variety of challenges. In fact, it's quite hostile. The letter actually tells us that within five regions that, Kim, you read really well, because those, those, uh, those names are not easy. Uh, the regions of what we uh, now know as modern-day Turkey lived a group of believers who were scattered by persecution. Now, commentators, they debate back and forth whether or not they were on the verge of persecution or they were in the midst of it. But what we do know is that it wasn't easy. It was difficult. And Peter's aim, therefore, is to give God's people grit in a world that is unfriendly to Jesus and really unfriendly to the way of of Jesus. And therefore, in the very beginning of the letter, he identifies them and addresses them as elect exiles. Elect exiles. It's that, that phrase, those two words, are sort of a summary of all that they are and ought to expect in navigating the world the hostile world around them. Really, it's sort of a summary of all believers. The phrase that Peter chooses as an identifier for Christians is interesting because it's seemingly incompatible. Uh, Elect exiles. They, They don't seem to work together. I was thinking about explaining this to you in a couple of ways, and the first way would just be in a story about my father, because I remember him always saying, mijo, I, I, I love you. Mijo, I, lo- I love you. And I just loved hearing my dad say that to me. But then, I, and then, but then he would say, uh, mijo, you need to, I want the grass cut. Um, and if, you, if, I, if, if I get home and it's not cut, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some papaus. And I'd say, I don't want any papaus. I'll get that grass cut. Um, and, and, and I always thought, man, it's so, so funny. I don't, I don't feel loved. I don't feel special when my dad's threatening me with, uh, with uh, consequences. And so, uh, but, but I know two things can exist. He can tell me he loves me, and he can put me to work, and it can all be love. Um, but this elect exile phrases, they see it's seemingly incompatible. Uh, David R. Helm, who is a commentator on, on the, the book of 1 Peter, he Uh, sums up the phrase this way. He says, the phrase covers our status in Christ and our sufferings on the earth. It's a really good way to summarize the phrase, uh, elect exile. The phrase covers our status in Christ and our sufferings on earth. Because both of those things are happening simultaneously. It's not the conversation that Christians are quick to have. In fact, some Christians aren't even familiar with the fact that the Christian life can have its challenges. 
And here's what I mean. Here's, here's what Peter is getting after. As the elect, Peter is saying that Christians, they have been sovereignly chosen to inherit eternal life. That's what election means. They've been sovereignly chosen to inherit eternal life. While their status as exiles highlights the unfinished earthly nature of the work. The former deals with reality of salvation, while the latter deals with the earthly development of that salvation. In theological circles, uh, Bible nerds, we call this justification and sanctification. So hopefully, you have good bearings on what the words mean from a story, from my brief explanation, and even some theologians. But let's begin by looking at the book and see how it, how it starts by discussing the reality of being the elect. Because that's where Peter starts in the book. After a really beautiful ad ad addressing to this group of five regions, uh, after giving a Trinitarian perspective in the first two verses, he, he bursts uh, like through the doors with blessing. He bursts through the doors with the reality of salvation. And Kim read it, but I'll read it again. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Because Jesus is alive and believers have put their faith in Christ, they find themselves recipients of a living hope, granted an inheritance which is actually kept in heaven for them, which is, in fact, guarded by the power of God. One commentator on this section calls this a doxological outburst. In other words, it's an explosion of praise. It's a, it's a glory, glory, hallelujah type moment. And reading a text like that is enough to make me a little Pentecostal. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, I, I might pull out my little hanky and wipe the forehead and get a little excited. I don't know. I don't know. It could, it could happen. It could happen today. The Spirit could get in me like that. But when I read that, what I do, that's how I feel inside. When I read that, that's, that's what God is trying to convey to his children. That's who you are in Christ. Amen. Living hope. Inheritance. Uh, that, is, that, is, uh, that is not, is not prone to corruption. It cannot be stolen away. Your security is, is, is all settled. That's what um, God is communicating to us. He's saying it's guarded by the power of God. In fact, 1 Peter, like I said, playing the hits, I'll play some of the hits for you. In fact, 1 Peter is filled with these beautiful statements that help us understand the unique status of what it means to be a Christian. And I'll give you a couple others. Chapter 2, 
Verse 5, Peter says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. In other words, what Peter is saying, he's saying, guess what? God, His Spirit, dwells in you. That you're, the, the, the place where He inhabits, His home, is in your heart, in your life. The church is the new temple. I don't know about you, but it's, it's incredibly powerful. Uh, chapter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of, the, out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In other words, Peter is uh, continually reminding the people who they are in Christ Jesus. And it's a beautiful picture. It's, it's something that should settle your heart, give, uh, give you a sense of security, uh, help you understand the scope of how much and how truly loved you are as a believer. That is God's perspective of you. That's his identifier of you. And in these texts that I just mentioned, drawing on Old Testament imagery, Peter echoes Old Covenant portrayals and titles to Israel. Uh, Sam Storms he notes that earlier, uh, Peter referred to the church as a holy priesthood in chapter 2, verse 5. He says, here we discover that the priesthood is a royal priesthood because believers have come under the lordship of a king. Contrary to what many believe, no geopolitical entity on earth is a holy nation. That is reserved for the church of Jesus Christ, those who are God's own possession. So again... When you read just some of the hits from uh, Peter, you, you should take away from it that you are quite a special people. You're, ki- you're quite a cared for, quite a loved people. To see how God sees us should give us all the fills. And I don't know about you, you might, you might be a little inclined to a little Pentecostalism. You may, you may, you may want to shed a tear. Um, you know, do a dance and celebrate because that's how loved you truly are. I mean, think about it. All I can, all I can envision is my kids coming to me when they were, they were little, when they were little tiny guys, and I would come home after working all day. They were so excited to see me because they just knew how loved they were. And so they were ready for an embrace. And, I mean, you, it, was, it was a tangible, um, visceral response from them in their enthusiasm to, to receive love because, because they knew deep within them that they were completely loved, you know. And it's funny, i got to talk about Miles, and I can do it without crying today, I think. Um, I, remember he's, he, I remember one time he was so excited to see me I, I hold, holding him up, and he just didn't know what to do. He just punched me right in the face. You know, he's just, he's just so, he's just so excited. He's, he's just like it's, the, it's just like you can't get it out of him. It's just like ah, you know, you know. And and really, when you read these texts, you should you should know how loved you are, and the gathering should be 
like a culmination. The, week, the, the end of the week should be a culmination of, of God's family coming together and saying, yeah, you're loved by God. Yeah, me too. We're all here together. This is incredible. That's who we are. Elect. You're elect. Do you, and then here's a little tidbit so I can get on a little theological uh, soapbox for a second. Um, when you talk about election, it's not for Christians to fight about Calvinism and Arminianism. All right? It's not for theologians to get all snooty and snotty and start debating about things. No. Election, when you always read it in, in the text, it's, it's always talking about God's love for his people, his selection of his people. He doesn't say, you're elect, now go fight with your uh, siblings about uh, the, the ver- various theological positions within it. Okay? Now, but off, off soapbox, back to um, sermon. This is the reality. This is the reality. And it's beautiful. It's who we are in Christ. But we can't forget uh, that the Christian life, it also comes with progression. It comes with a progression. And that's the exile part. That's the, the earthly nature of this part. Some of us woke up this morning and we are immediately reminded that things are falling apart, right? That we need a new body. Uh, I, I, I can't wait. We ordered some fancy pillows. Um, they should be here. Would you say Tuesday, babe? Tuesday can't come soon enough. Like Casper uh, memory foam slash goose down pillows, please come. Uh, they're reminding me how old I am. Our status on earth is we're falling apart. That's the, and I'll get, I'm going to get into it more, but we are exiles. We're elect exiles. Our status in Christ and our suffering on earth. Election and exile is a simultaneous thing happening. As I mentioned earlier, it's the earthly aspect of our salvation, the developmental piece of salvation here on earth, which we have, we'll see in the text, and we, have, we can, we can uh, agree with experientially that um, it can be difficult. And when we understand that life is a challenge and life can be difficult, it helps us understand uh, what Peter says, chapter 2, verse 4, a lot easier. Kind of em- even maybe embrace it. Because he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men... But in the sight of God, chosen and precious. I really like that. Precious and chosen in the sight of God, which is what we've kind of built out and we're talking, we've discussed, but rejected by men. Meaning, as exiles in the world, there's not always going to be a warm reception to the follower of Jesus Christ. Indifferent, hostile, But like Eugene Peterson used to say, this world is no friend to grace. This world is no friend to grace. I have found that we do not find crowds uh, when decisions for Jesus are made. And if we have experienced that, I have also found that once the Christian life begins, the crowds quickly dissipate. They quickly go away. My friends, in fact, they did not celebrate with me when I told them that my life was now going to be in pursuit of Jesus and his way. When I told them I was going to abandon all the visions and dreams I had prior to knowing him to pursue him, 
that wasn't met with, right on, bro. That's a great idea. In fact, it was um, ridiculed. And it was viewed really like a fad because I was known to change hair colors uh, very frequently and um, pop holes in, in places and, and do weird things. And they thought, oh, he's just a fad, the Christian, the Christian fad. Something that I would grow out of, much like Bob Dylan did. Did you guys remember when he wrote his gospel train records? Pretty, pretty sweet, but, you know, that was a fad. And, and it's also a lot like Lord Have Mercy, uh, currently what Kanye West is going through as well. And I say that because my heart breaks for the guy. Pray, he, he, pray for that man. You see, the earthly part of the progression, sanctification of salvation, is, is to be in exile. Sure, we are elect, but we're also exiles. In exile, if you know the Greek, and I'm not a Greek scholar, I just have some good books, but to, to be in exile means to be a pilgrim, hence the subtitle for the sermon. To be in exile means to be a pilgrim, people. Being a pilgrim in context of Christianity means pain and a process. Heartbreak and holiness. Suffering and sanctification. A life of developing as followers of Jesus Christ. It's a lifetime development. It's a lifetime process. To be a Christian means to be conformed into the image of Christ through our lifetime of conduct and sometimes within the crucible of suffering. These ideas, they're all throughout 1 Peter, but they are plain and prominent in chapter 1. In chapter 1, verse 6, I'll read a couple verses there. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Uh, later on in chapter 4, he'll call them fiery trials, so that the tested genuineness, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says that suffering is like a refining fire, separating the precious metal from their impurities. If you know anything about the dross being removed, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've heard this application, right? And if you're familiar with YouTube, YouTube is really fantastic, you can actually see someone separate the slag from the precious metal in the process of refinement. In other words, what, what Peter is trying to help us understand is that there is actually a refinement happening in our life that takes place over a lifetime. That's what sanctification is. And sometimes it's in the hottest crucibles of deep, deep suffering. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but life is not easy. Life is ter terrible, terribly difficult and challenging, hard, full of heartbreak, too, as well. As well as glorious and beautiful and wonderful, it is all those things, right? That's why elect exile sums it up well. But sometimes God says, we will, because the world is broken, and the world's been broken 
since the very beginning. And because we live in this broken, fallen world, we will inevitably uh, meet hardship and heartache. And we will have to, at a variety of times in our life, we'll have to go into the crucible. You know, a silversmith, uh, familiar with the process, was once asked, how, how hot does it have to be for the, the slag to be separated from the precious metal? And you know what he said? And it was, this was pretty powerful. He said, uh, I know it's separated. The dross is ready to come out uh, when I can see my reflection in the, in the, in the, in the smelt, smelting pot. Can you understand? Do you realize, like, if you take that uh, you, to, to make a spiritual application, this is what God is telling us. He said, when I can see my son perfectly in you, then you're done. And you're like, how hot does it have to be? <laughs> right? How hot? Lord, so, so stinking hot. Um, you know, sometimes he's saying, just maybe a little bit more. I don't, I don't know. Mm. You see, to be in exile, to be a pilgrim, is inevitably to experience a crucible. The suffering is sort of the, 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 the smelling salts. Suffering is sort of the smelling salts of sanctification. In, in other words, they wake us up. And they help us see just how close the kingdom of God actually is. And again, I don't, I don't know, I guess I'm doing okay today, but... Um, Man, that is what losing miles has been for me. And it's just, you know, there's so, there's, it, there's, it's complex and multi-layered. I, gosh, I'd love to, I'll talk to you, any of you guys about the whole process. And actually, I'm giving a sermon next year, which is coming really quickly, on love and loss, because John wants to see me squirm up here, I think. Um, but I tell you what, um, Losing miles, one, one little thing is just the kingdom is so much closer. The things that are superfluous and, and inconsequential, they really, really don't matter. I really don't give a rip about those things. And I really don't give a rip about nonsense. And I think that's the gift of grief. And again, there's, there's, there's a lot, there are many other layers and I don't want to try and unpack all that, but that's really the truth, guys, is that um, when we let Jesus really continue to refine, um, there's a glorious work going on, and it, 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 it produces just an, a, a heightened awareness to what really matters. And to be a kingdom people, that's been the gift to me. And of course, the crucible, and inevitably, as Peter gets to so many different varieties of ways in the text, he says it really does shape your conduct. It really does shape how you live in this world. Which is why in chapter 1, in the first uh, section where he addresses conduct, he says, in crucible affecting conduct, in, in verse 13 of chapter 1, he says, therefore... Because you're these elect exiles, because you're so loved by God, because this, there's this fiery trial coming to refine you, he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming. Jesus is, is coming, and, and he, in, in that, that final process that we have been 
discussing, kind of touching on, it's, it's going to be a reality. That blows my mind. He says, so sober up, smelling salts type of thing. Like, wh- let that wake you up. And he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ." like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in, these, in the last times for the sake of you, who, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly, brotherly love, love one another earnestly from pure heart. Do you see how the both perspectives of the status is to impact our living in the world? I think this is what it means to be salt and light. Salt adds, it's a a preservation. It's it's a preservative, you know. That's the way the, the Italians, the Romans used it back in the day. Thank God for salted cure cured meats, right? Uh, I mean, I love a pepperoni. Um, And that's what salt does. Christians, that's what we are to be in this world. Preservation. We should uh, help people live. And this is the tension that Peter provides with the title, Elect Exiles. Simultaneously declaring our status in Christ and our suffering on earth. And this is the grit that Peter's attempting to give to these pilgrims who, who are exiles, who are elect exiles, making their way through the world to Jesus. The, the, uh, Eugene Peterson said, the path that is Jesus uh, uh, to the person who is Jesus. And like I said earlier, Christianity is not a walk in the park. It's not easy. And I'm sorry if that bums anybody out, but that's, that's a reality. The exilic pilgrim part of salvation is lived in the trenches, sometimes in a crucible. Sometimes it happens there. But some of the best things happen in trenches too. It's glorious, but it isn't easy. Because the world where we develop holiness is indifferent or downright hostile to Jesus Christ and his way. Now, I'm not going to get on a soapbox about how messed up our enemies are. We know they're messed up. I'm going to turn it around on us, because that's what I, I believe sanctification really is about. It's turning around on us and letting us become, be made in the image of Jesus. So, I, But I won't, I won't belabor, belabor the point, but Eugene Peterson has words on the difficulties of developing holiness in the world in which we lived, and they've proved to be helpful to me, and hopefully they're helpful to you. He wrote a really great book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which I highly recommend to all of you reading. 
It's a rather long quote. I have, I have two long quotes for you today, and uh, Cody has notified me, and I already knew, but I, I'm breaking a record today as the longest quote we have ever had. Uh, it's actually a chapter in a book that you're, I mean, you're going to get today. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought, let's, why not, you know? It's, no, it's good. Um, so long obedience in the same direction says this. He says, an old tradition sorts the difficulties we face in the, in the life of faith into categories of world, flesh, and devil. We are, for the most part, well warned of the perils of the flesh and the wiles of the devil. Their temptations have a definable shape and maintain an historical continuity. That doesn't make them any easier to resist. It does make them easier to recognize. The world, though, is protean. Each generation has the world to deal with in a new form. World is an atmosphere, a mood. It is nearly as hard for a sinner to recognize the, world's, uh, the world temptations as it is for a fish to discover impurities in the water. There's a sense, a feeling that things aren't right, that the environment is not whole, but just what it, it is eludes analysis. We know that the spiritual atmosphere in which we live erodes faith, dissipates hope, and corrupts love. But it is hard to put your finger on what is wrong. One aspect of world that I have been able to identify as harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. We assume that if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. I think that's Western American thinking. Um, our attention spans have been conditioned by 30-second commercials. Our sense of reality has been flattened by 30-page abridgments. He wrote this in the 80s. We're down to 15-second clips on TikTok, right? Uh, oh, man, those things are... It, the youth, I, I, I mourn for you. They're so, they're so highly addictive. You know, I've, I've, I've gone down that rabbit hole a couple times. Um, it's not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically... Uh, difficult to sustain that interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there's a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it is packaged freshly. But when it, goes, when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There's a great market for religious experience in, the, in our world. Uh, there is a little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for, the, for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generation of Christians called holiness. Do you see what Peter is trying to give the Christians in offering them grit? He's trying to explain to them that virtue is going to take a lifetime. Learning and growing and developing holiness is going to be uh, sometimes in the trenches, but it will always be a long process, a long obedience, uh, the same, in the same direction for a long time. It's heartbreaking to think that people bail on Jesus the moment it gets hard. That's a bummer. And I think all we can do as Bible teachers and Christians, is to, you know, be more holistic in our perspective of the Christian life and what it really is like. Um, 
G.K. Chesterton, he said it this way, and I've always, I've always appreciated it this way. He said, the Christian ideal has not been uh, tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. So I'm not going to get into all the decisions for Christ, but um, disciples take place over a long period of time. And, and actually, let me pause for a moment. Some of you people here have been Christians for a long, long time. Um, and I, that's not me putting your age on blast. Um, that's me saying, I, I so salute you for your obedience, your faith over uh, decades and decades and decades. I mean, Paul, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I can't count that high. Um, it's incredible. <laughs> but, I mean, all jokes aside, like, People who have been pursuing Christ faithfully for decades is something to be cherished and beheld, and we are blessed with with that. Anyway, I guess the final question is, how do we endure to the end? We know we are elect exiles, but how do we endure to the very end? Well, the example of Jesus. Pretty simple. That's what Peter says. Few few hits from First Peter, chapter two, beginning in twenty one. He says, "Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin; neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly." He himself bore our sins on his tree, on his, on his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Chapter 3, verse 18, beginning in 18, or one verse. Uh, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 1. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the uh, time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And Peter says, arm yourself with this kind of thinking. Peter personally witnessed the willingness of Jesus to fully embrace the crucible of humanity. You see, Jesus gives us the grit we need to keep on going. Jesus does. And so, let us look to Jesus because that is what being a Christian is all about. And that's what Advent is all about. Um, I'd like to actually close with reading an excerpt out of an entire chapter of um, Paul Tripp's book, Come Let Us Adore Him. It's the, it's the Advent devotional we put on the back table for you guys to be reading. So if you haven't been reading, I'll catch you up today on day two. But it is beautiful. And I thought, I'd rather hear it like this than me try to stumble my way, you know, muck my way through that. In day two of the book, he says, one of the dark qualities of sin is that we don't recognize as much as we should its is willingness. We're often unwilling to do what God says if it doesn't make sense to us. We're often unwilling to 
uh, inconvenience ourselves for the needs of someone else. We are regularly unwilling to wait. We're unwilling often to be open and honest. We're too often unwilling to consider the loving rebuke of another. We struggle to be willing to say no to our own wrong thoughts and desires. We often struggle to be willing to answer God's ministry call. Often we are unwilling to admit that we are wrong. Too often we struggle to serve willingly to give generously. Unwillingness is one of sin's powerful, damaging results. So here's what the Christmas story is all about. A willing Savior is born to rescue unwilling people from themselves because there is no other way. Jesus was willing to leave the splendor of eternity to come to this broken and groaning world. He was willing to take on human flesh with all its frailty. He was willing to endure an ignominious birth in a stable. He was willing to go through the dependency of childhood. He was willing to expose himself to all the hardships of life in this fallen world. He was willing to submit to his own law. He was willing to do the Father's will at every point. He was willing to serve. When we deserve to be served, when, when he deserved to be served, he was willing to be misunderstood and mistreated. He was willing to endure rejection and, gro- and gross injustice. He was willing to preach a message that would cost him personal harm. He was willing to suffer public mockery. He was willing to endure physical torture. He was willing to go through the pain of the Father's rejection. He was willing to die. He was willing to rise and ascend to be, and to be our constant advocate. Jesus was willing. You see, it's not just the Christmas story. Rather, the entire redemptive story hinges on one thing, the eternal willingness of Jesus. Without his willingness, you and I would be without hope and without God. Without his willingness, we would be left without the power, left with the power and the curse of sin. Without his willingness, we would be eternally damned. During this season of celebrating, don't forget to stop and celebrate your Savior's willingness. His willingness is your hope in life, death, and eternity. But there is even more to be said. The Advent willingness of Jesus is your guarantee that he continues to be willing today. Right here, right now, he's willing to love you on your very first day. Right now, he's willing to forgive and again, forgive you again and again. Here and now, he's willing to be patient as you continue to grow and mature. Right now, he's willing to battle on your behalf against evil within and without. Here and now, he's willing to teach you uh, through his word. Now, he's willing to supply every, every one of your spiritual needs. Now, he's willing to be faithful even when you're not. He's right now is willing to empower you when you're weak and restore you when you've fallen. He is willing to comfort you when you are discouraged and protect you when you've stepped into danger. And he remains willing to do everything necessary to feed, guide, sustain, and protect you until eternity is your final home. You see, the Advent story reminds us that our past, present, and future hope rests not on our willingness, but on the willingness of the one whom the angels sing the shepherds worshipped, and the magi searched. Willing Jesus is the only hope for unwilling sinners. Listen, at the end of this, Christians, brothers and sisters, at the end of all this, as, as Peter says in the very final words in the letter, he says, the chief shepherd will appear, and we will receive an unfading crown of glory. So, brothers and sisters, be buoyed 
by the hope that you have in this Savior. Be okay with the reality that life is a process and that God is at work in our lives. And one day we will see the chief shepherd appear. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word, your work uh, uh, on the cross, declared in the gospel. And we as, we as your children, we, we rejoice uh, with, with the hearts that, that have placed their hope in you in, in, in saying that you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. And you are, in fact, alive. So with your resurrection power, with, the, with, the, with what you guard in heaven for us as citizens of your kingdom, may we um, know and experience and um, really rest and resonate in, in the gift of, of resurrection. So God, we love you. We thank you for this time of your word, and we pray that you would continue to lead us as we, as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.